Father, this morning we just come before you and we just acknowledge you as God. We acknowledge you as waymaker, miracle worker. God, you're the promise keeper. And Father, I thank you for, for what an amazing feeling that is knowing that our God is so much bigger than our problems. God, our God is so much bigger than any mountain that we're trying to trying to tackle ourselves. Father, this morning we choose to set our hearts on you. We choose to set our eyes on you. God, we take our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and we put them on the way maker and the miracle worker. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. And we thank you for this time that we've had just to be able to worship you. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. God, have your way in our hearts. God, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Forty thousand people were surveyed between the age of eight and eighty. The survey was designed to find a connection between the Bible and life change. And in this survey, they discovered that those that were involved with the scripture one time a week, there was zero impact in their life. Scripture that was read two times a week there was zero impact in their life. Scripture that was read three times a week, there was a minimal impact, but not enough to record. But people that were in the Scriptures four times a week, they experienced a significant impact. They found that loneliness dropped 30%. Anger, resentment, and bitterness issues dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Spiritual stagnation dropped 60%. Those who are using pornography dropped 61%. And I think really staggering is the fact that those that share their faith with other people jumped 200%. And... Those who were involved discipling other people jumped 220%. Now, the key dominant, uh, common denominator in their survey is the scripture. Now, I, I've got lots of questions. As many of you have had lots of questions if I've been sharing this on Sundays. You know... What about the condition of the heart? I mean, this survey reveals what? There even is, you know, I kind of doubt that a little bit. I'm not quite sure. Well, look at this from a big picture. Look at this from a high altitude. The bottom line is, those people, for whatever reason, that had at least four times a scripture a week, there was significant impact in their life. So for me... It makes sense since my assignment, one of my assignments as pastor is, is to help you grow spiritually. As Paul says in the book of Philippians, which I'm encouraging you to read every single day for 30 days. Every single day, read the book of Philippians and see what the Lord does in your life. And one of the things that Paul longed for in the life of the Philippians 
is that they experience a life that overflows with love and they grow in knowledge and understanding. And understanding is putting to work the knowledge that you get. That's, that's, it doesn't get any better than that. That's one of the things that every pastor uh, certainly wants the people to get going in their life is that love overflows. It jumps the riverbank. It's just, it can't be contained. And we love more this year than we love next year. And we're growing in love. And we're growing in knowledge of the Lord. And we're growing in understanding of the kingdom of God. And we're learning to live out the spiritual principles. Then it would make sense to me that encouraging you to be in the scripture at least four times a week has positive result. The impact is there. I think that you'll find that people that that are in the scripture on a regular basis, they will tell you that their experience with the Lord is deeper and and it's more far-ranging than if they're not in the scripture. And so, be in the Word at least four times a week. That's my challenge to you. That's my encouragement to you today. And read the book of Philippians every day for 30 days. And just see what the Holy Spirit works out in your life. Today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through verse 19. But before we do, I want to share a little bit with you. After a couple of questions I received last week and a couple of comments from Kyle's message. Now, first of all, it's important for us to keep in mind all assignments are important to God. Okay? All assignments are important to God. And if you have accepted the assignment that God has for you, and Kyle made you feel guilty, it's not Kyle's fault. If, if you have accepted the assignment that God has given you, and you felt guilty about your assignment, that's unnecessary guilt. That's not conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because it's God who chooses our assignment. And if God has chosen, our, has chosen our assignment, and if we have accepted the assignment that God has for us, it's unnecessary guilt for us to have guilt over our assignment. My assignment is to pastor here. My assignment is to live here. My assignment is to work with you. My assignment is to help the pastors in Cambodia. My assignment is to get God's people here to be involved in mission work here, there, and everywhere. That's God's assignment for me. So if I walked away from here last Sunday feeling guilty about not going and, and, and working alongside Kyle and Amy in, in, in Cambodia, then I'm questioning God's assignment in my life. Unnecessary guilt. Unnecessary guilt. So the key is, know what your assignment is and rejoice in your assignment and recognize that we all have different assignments. And it's really important. The defensive end's assignment is different than the defensive tackles. They have different gaps to handle. They have different responsibilities. In the kingdom of God, Paul says, some of us are feet, some of us are ears, some of us are noses, some of us are hands. We have different assignments. And so guilt that we have over our assignment, if indeed our assignment requires us not to suffer as much as other people do in their assignment, 
That's God's business. And he certainly doesn't want you feeling unnecessary guilt over something that he has chosen for you to do. It's okay that you have money. It's okay that you have a good job. It's okay that, that you live in some comfort. Alright? Now, if you felt guilt that you're not as passionate about your assignment as Paul is, as Kyle is for his assignment, and certainly as Paul was for his assignment, then that spiritual conviction. And if you don't love Jesus the way you perceive Kyle to love Jesus, if you're not focused on your assignment like Kyle and Amy are focused on their assignment, and if you are not giving your all for God and what he's called you to do and putting everything you have into your assignment, and if you felt some angst, if you felt some uneasiness, if you felt some restlessness in what he shared with you, that spiritual conviction, and you ought to repent. And do your assignment. Do your job. Do what God's called you to do. Don't make things more complicated than they need to be. Thank God Kyle and Amy have responded to God's assignment on their life. Thank God those of you that have responded yes to God's assignment for your life. Thank the Lord for that. Give your assignment all your heart. Get on with it. Get it done for God's glory. It may mean that you get to sip iced tea in the cool of the evening beside a nice fire at night with no mosquitoes. Kyle doesn't get to do that. You get to do that. That's God's business. Now, if you're not being faithful with your tithes and offerings, you need to feel guilty. You need to feel the angst of the burden of being wrong. And you need to respond. And if you feel guilty about not being faithful with what you have, then by George, you need to feel guilty about how you live. Feel guilty about not doing enough. Feel guilty about being selfish. Absolutely. But not because God has chosen a different assignment for you. Does that make sense? Thank you. Good. I hope you sleep better this week than you did last. <laughs> yeah, when I hear those missionary testimonies, it gets me. When I talk with Kyle, it gets me. I've got, I have got to back up and go, guilt or spiritual conviction? When he talks about his prayer life, spiritual conviction. When he talks about how difficult it is for him to live in Cambodia, unnecessary guilt. Because I'm faithful with what God's providing for me. I'm giving beyond his requirement for me. And so I'm okay with that. That's not my assignment. Sometimes I wish it was my assignment. He gets to have a lot of fun. He, they got to baptize people since he's been back in a real nasty water where there might have been piranhas close by. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great to go... Who's putting their foot in first? I'd say you. <laughs> you put your foot in there and see if, if something starts tearing your toe up. 
Because if, if, if they start tearing your toe up, I believe in sprinkling. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're not going to dunk them boys in there. All right. Philippians chapter 4. Now, this is about contentment. There's not a better case study for what contentment looks like and how we find contentment in the Apostle Paul. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians while he's in jail, unjustly condemned to jail. Paul's the one we need to learn from. Paul's the one that we need to discover. How in the world could Paul possibly be content? Well, this scripture here gives us insight into that. Now, first of all, contentment means that Jesus is enough. Now, we have lots of spiritual issues and lots of spiritual problems when Jesus is not enough. When you've got to have more than what Jesus has to provide, you, you, you get lopsided. You're down the wrong road. You made the wrong choices. You've got the wrong condition of heart. Contempt means that Jesus is enough. And so for Paul, Jesus is enough. Now, in the Philippian church, there was a giving issue between the Philippians and Paul. The Philippians had given to Paul. And then for reasons that we don't discover, they stopped giving to Paul. And in the writing of this letter, they returned to give to Paul. And so Paul is helping them understand his mindset into their giving issue with him as, as the missionary, the apostle. So they gave, they stopped giving. We don't know why they stopped giving. And then their giving revived. Okay? Now, here's the heart of this teaching. Contentment is learned. We didn't understand that. We see in verse 11 and 12, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. So Paul learns that. He says the idea of being content is just, just exactly like thou shall not kill. It's a command. Paul says, I have learned that God expects me to be content. I am to be content. We understand the scripture says that contentment with godliness is a great gain. And so Paul says, I am to be content. And so for Paul, whether or not he's going to be content is not a matter up for debate or conversation. He's going to be content. He has selected up front, he has chosen up front that he will be content. We didn't understand that. We are to be content. We should choose up front that no matter what, we will be content. We are going to be content with whatever God has provided for us because Jesus is enough. And so he learned to be content. So we know he wasn't content at first. We know that when he was blind on the road to Damascus, Paul wasn't content. We know that probably those days after that, Paul wasn't content. But somewhere along the way, Paul learned to be Content. Okay? So, contentment is not a gift. Contentment is not a, just a 
an explosion in you, and all of a sudden, you're going to be content. Content is something that you learn. That's what Paul says. Not that I'm speaking of being in, in need, for I've learned to, to, in whatever situation, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says it's a secret. He says it's learned, and he says there is a secret to it. And you need to, you need to seek out that secret. You need to seek out that treasure. And so contentment is a treasure that we learn, that we seek, that we get to the point where we're able to understand this is the key. This is the secret to contentment. He tells us what it is. First thing he tells us in verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So, the first key to contentment is we choose to rejoice. No matter what, I'm going to rejoice. Philippians 3, 1 says, in whatever circumstance, rejoice. We see here in, in Philippians 4, here in verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul said, if I've got a lot, I rejoice. If I have less, I rejoice. If I'm in poverty, I rejoice. If I have plenty of food, I rejoice. If, I, if I'm hungry, I rejoice. Paul says, my response to life circumstances is always the same. I choose to rejoice. Now, in good circumstances, we can all rejoice and celebrate. The difficulty is, and, and we're going to learn to be content in whatever circumstance, when things are not good, and we still choose to rejoice. Now, that tells me something. You can feel lousy and still rejoice. You can feel badly. You can feel uh, uh, painful. You can experience pain over a circumstance in your life and still rejoice. That's an amazing gift God has given us. There's a secret to that. I have pain. I have loss. I, 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 you know, I'm going through grief myself and losing my dad. And, and I'm still rejoicing, however. I rejoice in the gift of salvation. I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in heaven. But I still miss my dad. I walked into the hospital the other day in the waiting room and there was a man sitting with his back towards me as I'm walking through the waiting room and I kid you not, his, his head, his body, he even had a jacket on that my dad look, has. It looked just like my dad. And I took two or three steps over to say, Dad, what in the world are you doing here? And it went, boom, it caught me. Your dad's gone, man. That's not your dad. And I couldn't keep my eyes off. I kept looking over there. From the front... Not my dad. From the back, it is a double. A gobbledinger, or whatever those things are. <laughs> Didn't say that right. I take it by the response of the crowd. All right. So regardless of what happens, rejoice. That's a choice you make. That's a command of God's word to us. We are to be rejoicers. That's hell, that's hell, fire, and damnation, isn't it? Isn't that hard? That's your first response. Rejoice. We don't have enough money in the bank to pay the bills. Rejoice. There's not enough food on the table. Rejoice. 
I got real conflict with people in my family, you rejoice. I married a knucklehead, rejoice. <laughs> my kid is absolutely driving me crazy, rejoice before you walk in that bedroom with that, with that board. Rejoice, rejoice, no matter what. The stocks are up, the stocks are down. Rejoice. Now, the foundation of that is rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is on his throne. He is in the place of all power. There is no one greater than God. We rejoice in who he is. Rejoice. Well, the second thing, Paul had an unusual mindset. Look what Paul says in verse 10. I rejoice greatly now that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, Paul is revealing an important mindset to contentment. And here's that mindset. We have a governor. Uh, we have a pacemaker. Let's just say that that someone gets a pacemaker. I know my dad got a pacemaker years ago because his heart was dropping below 40. And so the doctors put a pacemaker in, and whenever his heart got down below 40, it shocked him, and it bumped his heart up, right? We need to have a spiritual pacemaker in us, and that is this. When a life experience takes us below good, it shocks us and bumps it back up to good. Okay? So, this statement is no longer in our vocabulary. Things are bad. Things are, are horrible. Things are lousy in my life. Now, Paul is saying here that it was, it was good when they quit giving. Now, how could it have been good when they quit giving to you, Paul? Because Jesus is on his throne. And he had his pacemaker built in, this spiritual pacemaker, that life was never lousy for him. It wasn't the end of the world. He wasn't sitting around feeling sorry for himself that these Philippians quit giving to what he was doing for the cause of Jesus. He didn't sit around at night and go, how sorry this is, how, how lousy this is, that they're not taking care of me. I have risked my life. I have suffered. I've been snake bit. I've been shipwrecked. I've been sick. I've had the, 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 the coronavirus. I've had the flu. I've had all these things, you know. Whatever, he, whatever you know, maladies he had, he says... He didn't say it at all. He didn't say that, that life was lousy when they didn't give. His mindset was, when they didn't give, things were good. When they did give, things were better. He had a good and better mindset. That's a good thing to have. A good and better mindset. And when we start dipping below good, we get shocked. And it bumps us back up. That's how we're content. 
And that's Paul's understanding. You see, because Jesus is Jesus, and Jesus is enough, and Jesus is Son of God, and he's the King of Kings, and he is at the right hand of Almighty God. And since Paul understood he absolutely had victory, it didn't matter what was going on, it didn't matter how horrific it was, Paul didn't see it as lousy, as horrible, as horrific. He saw it as good because Jesus is Jesus. Now, other people would look at Paul's situation in prison. That's bad. Paul didn't look at being in prison as bad. Matter of fact, he saw it as an opportunity. And contentment is about understanding and recognizing your opportunity. You have an opportunity to experience something that only God can do. That was Paul. A good and better mindset. Verse 13. This verse is not saying you can run faster than anybody else. I, I thought of this week that I'd get me some of those eye blacks and put on it Philippians 4.13. You know, I can preach. You know, I can, I can catch the ball. I can hit the ball. I can run faster. And you see today it's very popular for athletes to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bad interpretation. What we need to do is get us some eye black with Philippians 4.13. And he says, why are you wearing eye black to school? Why are you wearing, you're not playing a sport. Why are you wearing eye black? Because it doesn't matter whether or not I get fired or not. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what this is about. Philippians 4.13 is Paul saying, whether fed or hungry, broke or wealthy, I can rejoice. I can celebrate. I can be content. That's what Philippians 4.13 is all about. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Doesn't matter my circumstances one bit. I can be content because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. That's what he says here. So it's not about athletics. It's not, not about hitting the ball further. It's not about what we tend to think about the relationship to this verse of Scripture. It's about being poor and being content. Being wealthy and being content. And so poverty or wealth has nothing to do with contentment for the believer. Now when you hear those preachers say, that you are wrong with God, that if you're not being blessed, if you're not having more money than anybody else, if you're not growing your bank account, you're wrong with God. Absolutely untrue. Not according to Scripture. That's not the testimony that, that we see God wanting for His believers, His children. The testimony He wants His children to have is this. They are content whether they have or they don't. And they don't give because they want to receive. They give because they love Jesus. And they give because they are his children. And they're being obedient to a command. But not to get. Now it says in verse 14. And, and this may be a better scripture to have on our eye black. Than even uh, Philippians 4.13. He says in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Remember, he has a good and better mindset. And so when you gave and you gave first, it was better. I get, we, we get Sunday, we could get ice cream on Sundays. When you were giving, when you stopped giving to us, we couldn't get ice cream on Sundays. He says in verse 16, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. That was better. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now here's the verse of scripture right here. And, so he, he's commenting, man you gave to me and I was, I was blessed by it. You gave to me and I rejoiced. What a great thing it was when you met my needs. However, I want you to understand that I'm not trying to get money out of you. I'm not trying to get more donkeys. I'm not trying to pad my banking accounts, Paul saying to them. Because you've got to understand something. My contentment is based on this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, he's saying, and my God has supplied my needs. I want you to know that you get involved in kingdom economy. You get involved in giving. And my God, who, by the way, is rich. That's what he says here, isn't it? My God will give you, will bless you, will meet your needs according to his riches. The needs are met. That's what needs to be on our eye black. Philippians 4.19 My God is richer than your God. If your God is not my God, my God is richer than your God. And my God never runs out of the ability to meet our needs. I'm content. God's got a big storehouse. God's got a big barn that he keeps all his riches in. And when he determines that we are in need of his riches, he gives to us. That's why people say over and over and over, you really can never outgive God because he's got a lot bigger barn than anybody else has. He's got a lot of stuff in there that meets our needs. And the crazy thing about his giving is he knows exactly what we need. God is the supplier. And so he concludes in verse 20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. So, in review, contentment is learned. And contentment is a command. Write that down. Put that on your heart. You are going to be content. Why? Because God says you are to be content. We are to be content. We are to be the most contented people in all the world. 
We are to be more contented than Muslims, than Hindu, than, than atheists. We are to be content. My stars, it didn't matter how Sally Sue, I don't know, it didn't matter what she goes through, it don't matter how difficult life is, it doesn't matter how much stress she faces, it doesn't matter how many problems that old girl has, she is content. When that happens, God smiles. He smiles. Sally Sue brings me glory. She's content no matter what. She recognizes that I supply all her needs. Contentment is learned. We appropriate the contentment when we rejoice in the Lord no matter what. We have a good and better mindset. We understand that Jesus is enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I want. That's Jesus. And God is the supplier of all our needs. And God is rich. God is rich. So this week, your life assignment is this. The Word of God at least four times a week. The Word of God at least four times a week. No unnecessary guilt for you. If you experience guilt of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, then repent. Repent and return to the joy of your salvation. Contentment is a command. Rejoice. Up your game in the, better, the good and better mindset. Discover, if you haven't already discovered it, that Jesus is enough and realize that God will supply all your needs and God is rich. God is God forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Paul's experience. Thank you, Lord, today we have discovered Paul's contentment. And we've looked at it. Some of us, Lord, may be further along in contentment than others. Some of us are struggling. Some of us perhaps hadn't even begun. I pray that your sweet spirit will begin us right where we are. And we will be a people, your children, that rejoice in contentment no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Offering time.